0: Greetings, everyone, and welcome back to Surviving My Podcast, a survivor podcast about living with dissociation, anxiety, and PTSD in support of all who have survived the trauma of abuse. Join me as we heal together, raise awareness, and inspire everyone to survive, thrive, and conquer their past. everyone and welcome back to surviving my podcast my name is matt your humble host right back here for another episode of the show if you are a first-time listener i'm super stoked that you found the podcast and i hope that you'll find it validating and encouraging and that you'll continue to come back and share it with your friends if you're a regular listener you guys rock you're amazing thanks so much for coming back each week and rocking your survivor journey with me thank you for the shares the feedback the support it's just incredible and i appreciate you guys so much So today I'm joined by special guest and life coach, Lisa Romano. For those who don't know, Lisa is a breakthrough life coach, mentor, best-selling author, and expert on codependency and narcissistic abuse. She's dedicated her life to helping others awaken to their authentic self. I'm so excited to talk with her today. So let's jump right into it. Lisa, thank you so much for joining me. How are you?
1: I'm so grateful for this opportunity to share and speak with you and your audience. So I'm really happy to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me. This is a really important thing to talk about.
0: Absolutely, you are exactly right, and it's my honor, and I appreciate you taking some time out of your, out of out of your busy schedule. So, before we get into the topic of our chat today, which is uh, narcissistic abuse and brainwashing, um, why don't we start out a little bit by having you share some some information about your twelve week coaching program and also the additional coaching services that you offer?
1: Okay, well, currently I'm uh, hosting what's called the twelve week breakthrough coaching program. I also have a second program that builds off the first program. Called Lisa Romano's masterclass. So the 12-week breakthrough coaching program is essentially a um, step-by-step program that I created to help people get in touch with A, what's wrong, what happened to them, how they were how they were corrupted in childhood, how dysfunctional, how dysfunctional childhood programming can corrupt the subconscious mind, and create belief systems that act like templates that we, as, you know, as we're unaware, we don't realize that we're actually building our future lives off of these corrupted programs. Um, and so what I do with my coaching program is for the first four weeks of the journey, it's all about the awakening phase where we talk about what happened, what went wrong, and how subconscious programs get created, how beliefs get created, and how the default settings of the brain react to certain beliefs and fears. The second phase of the program is called the accountability phase, where I start to teach people about the idea like, yes, this is what happened. And yes, it's not fair. And yes, it's awful. But as an adult, we can learn how to shift our focus. We can learn how to be a little bit more accountable for the way that we're thinking. It's, very, it's a very gentle approach. Don't want anybody feeling guilty about the way they think because the way they think isn't their fault. But my goal is to say, okay, dear one, this happened, but this is how we need to be looking at it today, because it's the only way that we're going to change is if we change internally with our thoughts. Um, And the third phase of the program is called the ascension phase. And that's where I teach wounded adult children life skills that they um, were not afforded in their dysfunctional homes, like goal setting. Um, like healthy regimens um, and daily things that they can do to help them stay on path and on point with being able to connect to the self consistently. So that's the 12 Week Breakthrough Coaching Program. It consists also of a private Facebook group, um, an online, private, secure online forum. And the fa- each week on Facebook, I do a live event and I answer questions from the online forum. And questions from Facebook about each week's lesson, so it's really exciting. So it's um it's working out great so far.
0: Yeah, it sounds absolutely amazing. I was reading up on it on your website, which I'll put all the links. Um, nice. yep, in the um in the notes and also the post for this, so everybody can check it out. Um, you know, as soon as they're ready. So yeah, it definitely sounds amazing. And uh, this topic of um, narcissistic abuse and brainwashing is something, as I mentioned, that's close to my heart because I am a survivor with a narcissistic parent. You know, my mother, uh, in particular, and uh, you know, in my growing up years and even now as an adult, I've embraced the fact that it was indeed brainwashing and that it was narcissistic abuse. But for so long. I was pretty much clueless as to what a narcissist even was. Like I had heard the term growing up, and I'm like, I don't, you know, I it didn't apply to me. You know, I don't know what it is, but it can't be my parents. And as I've gotten older, um, started working with, um, you know, a therapist for a while, and you know, just generally working on my healing journey, I've really been able to see this for what it really was. So maybe you can explain a little bit about what exactly is a narcissistic person, and what do we mean by narcissistic abuse?
1: Well, narcissistic parents—I think so much of so many of us can relate to that. So generally, narcissists or people—it's beyond someone who's just self-absorbed. You know, somebody who's self self-absorbed, perhaps you might be able to say, you know, when we had that conversation, I noticed that you kept redirecting it back to yourself. I don't feel heard, and that person might be able to say, "Oh my gosh, I didn't—I didn't even realize that." Um, whereas a narcissist. On the other hand, they go way beyond being self-absorbed. Everything literally is about them. Everything that happens in the home, everything that happens at work, everything that happens out in the world, everything that happens on a a line, in a grocery checkout line, everything is about them. Um, When you're the child of a narcissist, you feel completely invisible and invalidated. And narcissistic parents abuse their children differently some narcissistic parents will rely on their children to a point where the children don't have a life um, the children are brought up thinking I gave birth to you you owe me you know you don't you wouldn't be where you were if it wasn't for me so everything's about the parent so if the child goes to school and gets an a it's because of the parent if the child goes to school and gets an F the parent sees that as as the child is hurting the parent so there's no there's no individualism, like there's no child and parent. It's all about the narcissistic parents. Some narcissistic parents are be, belittle. Um, they're cruel to their children. They act one way in front of people um, when they have a witness and they act completely different behind, behind closed doors. They gaslight their children. Um, so it, it, narcissists generally lack empathy for other people. Parents are supposed to be able to attune themselves their, to, their ch- to their children's emotional set point, And narcissists don't have that ability. They have no empathy. Um, so, and those are just, that's a general broad stroke um, description. But if you've been raised by a narcissistic parent, you feel unseen, you feel invalidated, you feel abused, you have been gaslighted, you are confused, you don't know which way is up. They change the rules. You cannot get from point A to point B. They can be passive aggressive. They can play the victim. Um, So because they can take on so many different traits, I I like to say that if you've been raised by a narcissist, you haven't felt seen, you haven't felt heard. Everything was always your fault. They lack the ability to take any responsibility for what's happening in the home, what's happening in the relationship. They simply cannot see you. And everything will always be about them and their needs. And they will use you to get their needs met in the most ridiculous ways. And that is, that's, that's why I think it's hard for us to sometimes identify whether or not we were actually narcissistically abused. Because um, there might be a, a, a mom out there who, you know, is having an affair with men in the neighborhood and then asks her teenage daughter to cover up for her. Um, and doesn't care of how the daughter feels about asking her to cover up for her. Lie to your father. Lie to this one. Lie to the wife. So the the mother isn't able to see the child's reaction to that or, or her experience. And yet another narcissistic mother might be completely engulfing to a child and seem like she's doting on the child. But what she's really trying to do is get the child to rely on her so the child never has a life. So it shows up in so many different ways that, and I think that's why it's so important to talk about it, because once, like what what you just said, once you began to identify what was wrong, you began to feel a little bit more lighthearted about something that was horribly wrong, understanding it helps.
0: Yeah, you're exactly right. And I think um, coming to that realization is obviously can be very difficult. It was very difficult for me. Um, but as I began to really embrace what was going on and see it for what it was and stop looking at my family through the rose colored glasses that everybody else was and that so many people still do, um, you know, it, it kind of started to put two and two together with the things that you mentioned about feeling invalidated and, and invisible and, you know, being abused in various different ways. Um the brainwashing and the gaslighting. One thing that that I always find interesting, and um, I like to ask this of people who are experts in this field: when a narcissist is actually projecting themselves on their their child, the brainwashing and the gaslighting is that something that they are knowingly, purposefully doing, oftentimes, or is it something where they don't know they're doing it? Like I always find it, you know, kind of curious as to. Whether they really are intentionally trying to do something or whether it's just they're doing it and not even realizing it.
1: I think it's we've got to be careful of black and white thinking. You know, I don't think it's it's always, you know, one or the other. I think that there are some times a narcissist does know that they're being manipulative. And then there are other times where they're so in their own zone that they they're just lashing out. Um, you know, they're, they've been insulted or it's been implied that they did something wrong and they're on the defensive, they're on the attack where that might not be, they might not be so aware, but generally speaking, I think that a narcissist sometimes may know that they're being calculated. Um, think about somebody who, you know, is having an affair on their spouse you know, a surgeon at work who's having an affair with two or three different nurses, whose wife's also a doctor at the hospital. Um, think about, you know, that mindset, what oh, I have to tell my wife this and I have to tell her that, you know, I've got to tell that nurse this so I can go over there and do that. So I think there is a certain level of consciousness in um, when that's going on. Um, but I think that when a, when a narcissist is in reactive mode, especially in defensive mode, I don't think that's so conscious. Does that make
0: sense? Yeah, it definitely does. And I can, of course, see um, both sides of the coin here. And that's why I always find it interesting to hear people's thoughts on it, because you're right. I think when we as survivors or we as people in general um, really kind of fall into that trap of black and white or extreme thinking, we can sometimes forget about or push aside the idea um, that, you know, it could be both you know scenarios depending on the person and the circumstances and whatnot so something else that struck me when you were talking and uh, just just to give you like a quick 30 second story i was recently talking with my dad and my sister and brother and we were over while my dad was uh, being honored for his service in the navy and Mm -hmm. basically the conversation came up afterwards somehow that my mother was talking about when i was a child and how everything was so busy for her and she was so caught up in her work and she didn't really have time to deal with me all the time. And like the whole conversation was just going down this road of me, me, me playing the victim. And Mm -hmm. it ended up turning up that my sister-in-law brought up, well, what about how Matt feels? Now I wasn't here for this part of the conversation, but um, it was interesting that you said how they play the victim and they're self-absorbed. And it really struck a chord when I heard about this conversation because it was kind of a situation where it wasn't anything about, well, how did Matt feel during the time when he was being abused, you know, and how did Matt feel when you were ignoring him and, you know, allowed to run around the neighborhood between five and 10 years old with no supervision and all this stuff. And it was more about why she was doing what she was doing and why this was the way it was from her point of view. And um, that really just kind of hit home when you were just talking about right now about how they either knowingly or unknowingly play the victim and make it all about them.
1: Yeah. And again, it goes back to when, in my opinion, what I've noticed is that when you begin to scratch the surface that perhaps narcissist was doing something wrong, they are, they go right into defensive mode. They go right into, well, this is why I was doing those things, you know, um, no different than, you know, a wife who says, for instance, you know, um, you didn't have to smack me because the mashed potatoes, weren't the cons- consistency that you wanted. And he comes back with, well, if they were the consistency that I wanted, you wouldn't have gotten smacked. There is a complete denial of the wife's experience of being abused. So, and it's, it's, it can be very covert and it could be very difficult to catch, especially when you're a child who wants nothing more than to be validated and loved and feel like he or she belongs to this being who, brought him or her into this life experience. And very oftentimes I noticed that when a conversation like a family dynamic goes into, well, where were you, mom? Where were you, dad? Either, and sometimes it's the, in my case, my mother always covered for my dad. And if I tried to hold my mom accountable, my dad would cover for my mom. So this, they were in cahoots together to, to, uh, to kind of like keep the kids at bay from being able to pin the tail on the donkey. Um, healthy parents don't do that. Healthy parents say, what do you mean you felt abandoned? Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. Like I was working a lot and, and I, I can see how me not being home, I can see how that may have made you feel unwanted. I'm so sorry. But parents who fall on that, narcissist, on that narcissistic spectrum are always looking to um, deny their child's experience to push away any hint that they should be held accountable. Um, and they sometimes they rage, they raise their voice, they scream, they yell, they threaten you. They threaten you withhold, with withholding their love. They threaten to cut, cut you out of the will. They threaten to talk to Aunt Jean and Aunt Uncle Bob about you. Um, they trigger all these wounds in you that you're crazy, you're overreactive, you make a big deal out of nothing. Um, so they find ways to knock you off your, I call it the, um, the, 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 the the pedestal within that the self should be able to stand upon. They find ways to knock you off that pedestal that yourself should be sitting upon with self doubt, with criticism. And in my opinion, the goal is to cast doubt in your perception of them. So if you felt like your mom wasn't doing the right thing, the goal is to create self-doubt around your personal perception or the perception of others so that they cannot be held accountable. So they're looking to manipulate how other people see them so that that so that you can't get too far below their surface. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, it definitely makes sense. And um, a few other things popped into my head while you were talking and I was writing some notes. So how does it go when, you, when a survivor of nar- of narcissistic abuse um, starts to try and feel empathy for the narcissist, you know, be it the parent, the caregiver, whoever it might be in their life. Um, that can be very confusing um, and something that I think a lot um, of survivors have gone through this confusing time of, well, was it really their fault? Should I feel bad for them? Maybe was it all me or maybe was it some of me? Did I do something I shouldn't have done? All those types of things that go through your head. Um, maybe talk a little bit about how confusing and kind of invalidating it can be when you have this this kind of battle going in your head of trying to feel bad for somebody because maybe that's the way you were groomed or that's what people are trying to tell you it wasn't their fault it wasn't that bad but in reality you know it was and you have this kind of conflict going on
1: well this is i'm so glad you brought it up it's a very complex question um and this is why, one of the reasons why I knew I had to create my coaching program and write my books, because, you know, we're talking about attachment trauma. We're talking about children who have a natural need. We are born. I mean, every cell in our body is connected to these people who created us. You know, mother's mother and father came together. These two cells, sperm and egg, came together and created this single cell, you know, uh, being that developed into this human being with trillions of cells. So every cell in our body wants to feel in alignment with mom and dad. That doesn't end. you know. So on a genetic level, vibrational level, there's this need to feel seen. Um, if children aren't seen by the time they're three or four, if they don't feel psychologically seen, me, I matter, then eventually what ends up happening is that child will internalize that not feeling seen to mean it's my fault they don't see me. It's my fault they don't love me. And I think that is sort of like a defense mechanism because when a child assumes responsibility for I am not loved, then on some level, the child feels in control of possibly gaining that love. And the child then seeks, it, seeks out on a path to gain mother and father's attention and approval. Um, if they don't get it, in my opinion, by the time they're 12, that's when children can experience great depression, great anxiety, anxiety. They begin to act out. Lots lots of times children become love addicts about that time, you know, where they're seeking love in all the wrong places. Um, as adults, these codependent belief systems have begun to take place. We don't feel enough. We don't we're seeking validation in outer relationships. We take on jobs and careers because we think, oh, that's how I'm going to feel seen. Oh, this is where I'll get my sense of self from. And what we what we failed to realize is on that timeline was this absence of feeling validated and and experiencing empathy for us. So children know that their feelings are valid through the experience of empathy from the outside world. So if I, and children are always looking outside their world for a meaning to something. So if. I have a feeling at three, and that feeling goes ignored, and I'm pushed and shoved, or I'm beaten or locked in a closet, or I'm made fun of because I was hungry, or because mommy hurt my feelings, and I experience brutality. Then my brain is associating a sense of not worthiness or unworthiness with what I'm feeling. So, this lack of empathy reads You're not good enough. Your feelings are stupid. Your feelings are irre- irrelevant. You don't matter. And so to answer your question, the reason I had to go around the block to answer your question is that, you know, one of the things that I teach and I hop on over and over and over is this idea that you have to give yourself what was missing. There are particular emotional stages of development that we were supposed to hit certain milestones. One of them included empathy. We had to experience empathy and healthy mirroring. And if we didn't, then we have to learn as adults to give it to the self. Now, having said that, I suggest that people learn how to stop, look, look and listen and feel they have. I created the one, two, three process where I teach people to ask themselves, ask yourself how you feel, accept how you feel. I don't care what you feel. I don't care if it's rage, frustration, depression, anger, whatever it is, sadness, grief, loss, feel it, get in touch with that feeling space. The third step is then ask yourself what you wanna do. That's the money step, action step. What do I wanna do about how I feel? Now that step, has to you have to run through a couple of filters. What can I control? What can't I control? And ultimately, how do I wanna feel? Most people wanna feel, um, they wanna feel peace. They wanna feel non-resistance. They wanna feel contentment. So when it comes to having empathy for other people, I believe the first step is learning to have empathy for the self first. When you learn to have empathy for the self, then you've honored the inner child's experience. And now we have that pedestal. Now we have that jumping off place. Me, Lisa, I matter. And now, because I can love and validate and take care of myself, I'm no longer looking to my parents for for that empathy and that validation. So now I have the ability to hold on to myself See my parents as wounded adult children themselves. However, I now am understanding that I don't need their validation, that I can have empathy for them, but you, just because you have empathy for a narcissist doesn't mean you have to have them over for breakfast. Just because you have empathy for a narcissist doesn't mean you have to sleep with them. Doesn't mean that you have to call them when they break their leg or call them when you hear that something tragic happened in their family. So where I am at my stage of emotional recovery is I see that both my parents are uh, products of violent alcoholic homes as children. My dad's mom committed suicide when he was three or four years old. But that has turned my father into a shutdown. He has no tolerance for your feelings. My mom's in the hospital. She just had a a terrible stroke. My father doesn't care what we want to do about it, what we have to say about it. So I've learned to have empathy for him, but I also have to have boundaries for him, for, for, um, with him. And I've learned to honor and love myself first. So before we have empathy for anyone else, the first rule of business is to develop empathy for your experience of that narcissist. Because that narcissist will take any empathy that you have for them and manipulate it and use it against you until you understand These ideas about having empathy for the self first.
0: Wow, that's absolutely uh, an incredible insight. And actually leads me into the last topic I wanted to talk about, which you had a perfect segue of using our um, empathy against us. And so I know a lot of times as survivors, and something that I've struggled with and still struggle with from time to time is confronting the narcissist in your life, be it the mother, the father. Teacher, caregiver, whoever it is, because there is a very real possibility, as you just mentioned, that they'll take everything we say, turn it around, use it against us, gaslight us, completely manipulate us, and make us a person who walked into there with, you know, this plan and this feeling of vindication, and you know, I'm gonna confront this person who hurt me for all this time. But there's a very real possibility, um, and oftentimes a fear that it's gonna potentially basically blow up in your face. So. Maybe um, talk a little bit about here uh, the idea of, of confronting that person in your life. You know, is it necessarily something you should really give a lot of thought to and time to? Is it something where you should maybe just not bother? Like, I know there's, there's probably like a ton of different ways to go about it, but maybe you can touch on it a little bit.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, when you're dealing with a narcissistic person, um, you have to be very, very clear about your agenda. So you can't control a narcissist. You can't make a narcissist see your point of view. And if you're dealing with a narcissist, it is their agenda to invalidate your point of view. Now, once I understood like, oh, okay, you know, because in my opinion, I was married to a covert narcissist, very passive aggressive. You know, I called him a Boy Scout narcissist because he was everybody's best friend. You know, he was everybody's Eagle Scout, but at home, completely different experience of him. His agenda was to say, oh, you're crazy. Oh, you don't know what you're talking about. Just so that he would never have to change, so that I would feel crazy, I would back off. Um, And so when I began to understand him, my mom, my dad, I began to understand the dynamics. Their agenda is to not hear me. Then that changed my perception. You know, I did a 180. I was like, oh, okay, I've been going about this all the wrong way. I've been looking for the narcissist to agree with me. That's not gonna happen. I've been looking for the narcissist to validate my experience of them. Not gonna happen. I've been looking for the narcissist to say, yes, Lisa, I can see why you're saying that. Not going to happen. So when I let go of these illusions, because when you're dealing with a narcissist, you are not dealing with someone who's fair, who's just, who has integrity, and who cares about how you feel. So once I really understood they don't care how I feel, my whole reason for talking to a narcissist changed. My whole agenda changed. So now when I talk to a narcissist, it is from a position of power. I know who I am. I know I'm worthy. I know your game. I know you're gonna invalidate me, and I don't care. I've come here to say X, Y, and Z, I've come here to let you know that if you cross that boundary, then X, Y, and Z is going to happen. And if you do that, then X, Y, and Z is going to happen. So when you talk to a narcissist, you can't attach to an outcome. You're not in control of what they say. You literally have to expect them to invalidate you. And you don't uh, uh, confront a narcissist, in my opinion, until you have done enough work on yourself that you don't give a rat's ass whether or not they validate you. This is about your experience of them and you wanting to just say, look, this was my experience of you. This was how I perceived you. This is what I think I deserved. This is what I got. This is how relating to you and being your child or being your husband or your wife, your boyfriend or girlfriend, your friend, working for you. This is how I have ended up feeling, invalidated, invisible. And you know what? It's okay. I get it. I understand. I'm not value." i you don't see value in me. I get it, but this is how it made me feel. And so the agenda is really about expressing and not expecting any particular outcome, not expecting them to change and not being um, completely distraught because then they don't validate you or agree with you. So if your agenda is to talk to a narcissist to get them to change, don't confront them because that's not gonna happen. If your agenda is to confront a narcissist because you want them to validate you, don't confront them, you're not ready. You're just not ready. So know what your agenda is. If it's basically to get something off your chest, that's fine. If it's to set a boundary and let other people know, listen, if you do this, this is what I'm gonna do, um, then that's fine. Not attached to an outcome from a position of power, understanding what you're dealing with. I always tell people it's better to know that there's a snake in your bed, than to not know there's a snake in your bed. And when people know there's a snake in their bed, they take appropriate steps to protect themselves. If you don't know there's a snake in the bed, you might cozy up to a snake and get bit. So knowing what you're dealing with, and seeing it clearly, not expecting this rattlesnake to turn into a bunny rabbit, that's not reality, will help you. So, so I, hope that, I hope I answered your question.
0: Yeah, you absolutely did. It's just uh, incredible insight and information. Thank you so much for sharing. I know uh, with survivors that I talk to in my blog and um, you know interact with comments on this podcast and whatnot. It's a really big deal, a, very, a really big um, thing to kind of try and work through in their minds of you know you know should I confront my parent? You know, am I ready? What do I say? What happens if they say A, B, and C, and I can't deal with it appropriately? So, you know, as you mentioned, the importance of Knowing um, and understanding what the outcome is and making sure that we're entering into that conversation um, with the right frame of mind and the right expectations for the outcome is so key. So, absolutely incredible information. Lisa, thank you so very much for joining me. I appreciate it. I would love to do this again sometime.
1: Absolutely. I think the one thing, the one word that I would leave your listeners with is detachment. If you can go into a conversation with a narcissist detached, not attached to an outcome, not attached to how you want the conversation to go, completely detached, completely 100% detached, not expecting anything, then I think your um, the outcome that you're seeking um, might just be to just be able to tell people how you feel. You have to understand, be detached to how they're going to experience you and you'll feel better.
0: Very well said, and what a perfect way to wrap this up. If you would like more information on connecting with Lisa, you can head over to her website, which is LisaARomano.com. The information's there for her 12-week program, for her, her downloads, for her books, all, all the amazing resources that you can pick up there uh, for your Kindle uh, and paperback. There's audio versions. Um, all the services that she offers are right there on LisaARomano.com. Follow her on Twitter at lisa. A Romano one, right? I mm-hmm. believe that's it. Yep. yep. And then on Facebook, um, of course it's facebook.com slash breakthrough life coach, Inc. Uh, Lisa, thanks so much. It's been incredible and I cannot wait to do it again.
1: Thanks Matt. Me too.
0: Thanks again for listening to surviving my podcast sponsored by surviving a blog about my life with dissociation, anxiety, and PTSD and in support of all who have survived the trauma of abuse. This podcast or any resources sponsored by survivingmypast.net should not be considered as therapy or professional medical help. If you are in crisis, I encourage you to seek out the services of a mental health or physical health professional. I also encourage you to check out online crisis support from sites like rain.org, 1 6org and the Samaritans. If you would like to be a guest on a future podcast, just contact me anytime through email SurvivingMyPast.net, or use the contact forms on the blog. Thank you again for your support and encouragement and always know that you rock. Talk to you soon.